to heaven to be with his father and looking at some of the big issues and the big questions that the early church of that time would have been thinking about and wrestling with as they worked out what it meant to live as disciples, followers of Jesus. So when we looked last week at Romans chapter 10, I pulled this verse out in particular that actually appears three separate times across the scriptures. Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That was the verse that we looked at. And that's a verse that appears in Joel in the Old Testament, in the book of Acts, and then again in Romans. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we looked at how the word saved literally translates to mean rescued, that those who call out to God will be rescued. And in that passage last week, St. Paul was primarily talking about salvation, healing, rescuing in a spiritual sense, that when we call out to God, we are spiritually healed and rescued. But the whole of the New Testament shows us that the healing, the salvation, the rescuing that God offers us is not just a spiritual healing, it is a physical healing, a physical salvation, a physical rescuing as well. We are physical people. We have been given physical bodies. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. It's not by accident or by mistake that we find ourselves in the bodies that we're in. We were created by God and um, with a purpose. Um, actually, this is a, a side point in some ways, but when we think about eternal life, we often have this, um, what I call Philadelphia theology, which is that sometimes we imagine that um, at the end of all things when we die, we'll float up and sort of sit on a cloud with angels playing harps and eating Philadelphia. You've seen the adverts, right? Um, we imagine that's what eternity looks like, some sort of, you know, disembodied, floaty experience where we're just sat on the clouds with the angels that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible talks about an eternity that is physical, that is real, that we can touch and smell and hear and experience. And the world that we live in now and the bodies that we live in now are created for purpose because God is a God who cares about the, the physical reality as well as the spiritual reality. So let's have a look at that passage from James chapter 5 on page 1216 and um, I'm going to read from verse 13 to the end if you want to follow it in the Bibles. James says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. 
My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The prayer of a righteous person, says James, is powerful and effective. So let me ask us this question right at the start this morning. Do you actually believe that prayer works? Do you believe that when we pray, we have a God in heaven who not only hears our prayer, but responds to our prayers and petitions and pleas and requests, who loves us, who wants to meet with us in power, and that the prayer of the faithful and the righteous is powerful and, as James says, effective. Prayer works. I wonder if we actually believe that. I sometimes feel in the church like we've reduced prayer down to something that's cathartic. We do it because it sort of makes us feel a bit nice, gives us a bit of a sense of peace. But if we were pushed on it, we wouldn't really want to nail our colours to the mast and say that it worked. Do we believe that prayer works? Do we believe that miracles, as we read of in the Bible, still happen today? That people are still healed? That people still receive revelations and words from God? Do we believe in a supernatural God who is still in the business of performing miracles today? So what I want to do with us this morning is to share a few stories of um, healing miracles in particular um, and use those stories to help us think about this topic and then we're going to conclude this morning by an opportunity for people to receive prayer if they want to. So a number of years ago while I was training for ministry I spent a couple of weeks volunteering with a Christian organization in Mozambique in southern Africa. Uh, organization is called Iris Ministries and it's headed up by uh, a missionary, an American missionary called Heidi Baker who some of you may have heard of and um, Heidi Baker is an, an amazing speaker, very prophetic, extremely anointed person and has lived for much of her adult life in some of the poorest communities in Mozambique, ministering to, to children in particular, but to families there living in real need. She's written a book, uh, which is one of my favorites. If you can get a copy of it, it's called There Is Always Enough. And in this book, she talks about the stories of God moving powerfully in the communities that she was working in. Here's one of the stories that she shares. Heidi was walking uh, down a road outside um, one of the, the townships near where they were working and somebody approached her and um, called out to her and said, Heidi, please will you come and see my husband? Will you come and see him and will you pray for him? For the last two years, he's been paralyzed from the waist down, um, unable to move. Um, he's laid up in bed most of the time. Um, we believe that God can heal. Um, God seems to be working through you. Would you come and pray for him? It was an hour's walk from where she was, but Heidi made the journey, arrived and saw this man laid out on the bed in their makeshift home. And she prayed to the Lord and said, what, what should I do in this situation? What are you calling me to do? And she sensed God say to her, baptize him. Okay, well, there's no font. There's no baptism pool, certainly. All there was actually was a large cup of water. So 
She used what was there, took this cup of water and baptized him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then she laid hands on him. His name was Carlos. And she said, Carlos, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And for the first time in two years, she writes, Carlos stood up and gingerly began to walk. Within a few moments, he was walking laps around the house. This had not happened for over two years. She visited him some time later and recorded in her book, Today, he is walking totally on his own, completely healed. That is the power of God at work in somebody's life who just received prayer. Now, I don't know how you feel about hearing stories like that because often I hear stories from, um, you know, interesting places in the world and you think, well, that's really exciting, but that's Mozambique and God works like that maybe in Africa and, and, you know, sort of exciting places where all these miraculous stories seem to come from. But surely God doesn't operate like that in sleepy old England, right? And he certainly doesn't work like that in the Church of England, right? I mean, surely those sorts of things don't happen here. Let me share with you a few stories that are a bit more personal and closer to home. The previous church that we were in in Northampton, there was a lady called Helen. And uh, Helen had had a really serious accident at work, which meant that she lost mobility um, and was in a huge amount of physical pain. Helen was not only in physical pain, but actually acknowledged that she was experiencing real spiritual pain as well. The physical um, pain and the lack of mobility meant that she felt completely out of control, unable to determine for herself what she did day by day. And she acknowledged that that experience highlighted for her the fact that she had never really allowed God to have control of her life. As she put it later, she'd never allowed God to be in the driving seat of her life. And now she felt powerless and angry at God and hurting in her spirit. And she recognized that she needed healing both bodily, but actually also healing in terms of her relationship with God. We had a a prayer gathering at our church um, specifically around healing. And she went forward and a number of people prayed for her, laid hands on her, prayed that God would heal her. And the Lord began by bringing a sense of healing to her spirit. She experienced for the first time in a considerable amount of time a real sense of rest, of peace, of the presence of God descending upon her and a knowledge that she was cared for and loved. God began by healing her in her spirit. As these people continued to pray and over the course of the next 24 hours, she was healed in her body. The swelling that she'd had in her legs, which was quite dramatic, reduced hugely. She began to uh, regain some of her mobility. And within a 24-hour period, the acute pain that she had been feeling completely disappeared. And I remember seeing her a few days later, and she was honestly like a changed person you know she was beaming her story we ended up publishing it um, in our church um, vision document that we put together um, for visitors and for people coming to the church to say this is the God that we believe in a God who cares about our spiritual 
health and our physical health. At the same church, there was a wonderful older couple called David and Betty. And uh, both of them, but perhaps David in particular, was one of those individuals where if you spent more than about five minutes with him, you immediately came away feeling completely uplifted. He put a smile on your face. And uh, he was so prayerful, so sincere, so loving. Uh, And often when I was there as the curate of that church, I'd go and see him with a view to praying for him or being the one offering something to him. And I'd just be blessed back by um, his sheer faithfulness. But whenever we had... um, services around the topic of healing or we'd have um, prayer meetings, he would often be brought to the front to share his own personal story of what God had done in his life a number of years ago. He'd contracted cancer and it was serious. And being a man of uh, amazing faith and surrounded by people who believed in the power of prayer, he sought prayer and believed in his heart that God was able to heal him. And uh, it was a really painful and difficult time for him, but he received prayer from others and prayed over himself and trusted in God that if it was God's will, he would experience supernatural healing. The short of the story is, over um, a, a period of time, the cancer that had been discovered in his body completely disappeared. And he went to see uh, his consultant who who sort of couldn't explain, couldn't fathom what he was seeing, couldn't explain why these cancerous cells that had been present had now gone. And David, of course, took great delight in telling him, I can tell you why that's happened and talked to him about the God who heals and the church that he was part of. Amazing testimony that David would share with us really frequently. Betty, his wife, while we were at that church, fell ill and declined very quickly. And it was evident that this was something quite profoundly serious. She was rushed into hospital and within a couple of days, they diagnosed that she had a brain tumor. And um, we prayed for her. And we anointed her with oil and we had great faith that God could heal her. And and David, her husband, an amazing man who, who believed that God could bring healing and we laid hands on her and we did all the things that scripture instructs you to do and believed that God was able to heal. And she died. And I remember going in to see her a few days before she passed away. I took communion into her in hospital and uh, she, was, she was wonderful, she was at peace, she knew where she was going, but um, she was in great physical pain and she passed away and it was devastating for us as a whole church community, devastating for her husband. And what do you do with that? Those are the questions that I was left with. What do you do with this reality that this amazing couple, one of them experiences the supernatural intervention of God and healing, and another, despite the same faithful prayers, does not experience the answers that we would want to see? What do we do with the fact that on some occasions, God seems to intervene in a way that is naturally inexplicable, And on other occasions, we cry out to him and it feels like our words just bounce back to us. What do we do with that? 
And I think it leaves us with a choice because it presents us with a choice about what we decide to believe about God and how we decide to pray. And the choice is this. We can choose to form a theology that is a belief about God that is based on our experience. So we can say, for example, my experience has been that so far in my life, I have not experienced miracles. I have not experienced God healing supernaturally. And therefore, the theology that I'm going to construct is that God doesn't heal. My experience is that God hasn't healed. So therefore, my conclusion is God doesn't heal. That would be one option available to us. The second option would be to form a theology around what the Bible teaches. And to say, my experience so far in my life has been that I haven't experienced miracles, perhaps. That I maybe haven't experienced much in the way of God healing and moving supernaturally. But the Bible shows me that God is in the business of doing this. Jesus shows me that God does still heal and scripture teaches me that we should pray with faith and with a sense of expectation for God to heal. So I choose to believe even though I haven't seen. If we opt for that second position, it's really painful It's so much easier to have a faith where we manage our expectation of God and say, I'll have a belief in God that conforms to my experience, where I limit God to the level of my experience, rather than choosing to believe something even though we haven't yet experienced it. But the writer to the Hebrews, of course, says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's the definition of faith. That's what it means to be people who believe in the power of God, even when we don't see it. And the question that I want us to take away this morning is, will we bring God down to the level of our experience or will we ask our faith ask god to give us the faith that rises to the level of his power let me say that again will we bring god down to the level of our experience or will we allow our faith to rise to the level of god's power there's a story that you're probably familiar with in the book of daniel in the Old Testament, where Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as we used to call it when I was kids, Meshach, Yorshach, and a bungalow. Um, Daniel and his three friends um, are, um, are hauled before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, because they have refused to bow down and worship him. They have refused to renounce their belief in the one true God and instead to worship him. And Nebuchadnezzar hauls them into his presence and says, if you refuse to denounce God and you decide instead that you won't worship me, you will be thrown into the blazing furnace. So they're almost certainly going to die. And Daniel and his friends say this to the king. The God we serve is able to deliver us and he will deliver us. 
But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image you have set up. Brave men. We believe that our God can rescue us, that he will rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we will not denounce him and turn to another. That's the kind of faith that I want. The faith of Daniel and his friends that faced with challenges and questions and uncertainty, we can be a people that say, God certainly can do this. He will do this. But even if for some reason we don't understand, he does not answer our prayers in the way that we would hope. We will continue to trust him. We will continue to believe in him. We will not turn away. We will not follow another. That position takes real courage, huge amounts of courage and bravery and, and sometimes an ability to live with the pain and the uncertainty of the, and the questions of why God seems not to be acting in the way that we would hope. But faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I want to pray that as a church, we would have a faith that is not based on our experience as if our experience were all that's important, as if we've experienced everything there is to experience about God, but a faith that's not limited by our experience, but a faith actually that is informed by the God that we see in the Bible and says, I may not have experienced this yet, but I know that it's true and I know that it's possible and may I ask God to give me the faith to believe in what I have not yet seen and what I have not yet experienced. The alternative, friends, is that we settle for a sort of Christianity light, which is a Christianity minus the miracles, a Christianity minus the supernatural stuff, a God minus the power, and that just ain't Christianity at all. You know, we may as well go and form a social club if that's what we're about, because actually we believe in a God who is still at work, who is powerful, who is mighty. Prayer still works. And God still heals. Um, Martin and Dan, I wonder if I could get you guys up. So in just a moment, um, we're going to pray for each other. And as we pray, I'm going to ask Martin and Dan just to play through our next song quietly in the background for us. This is what I want us to do. There will be some of you um, here even this morning who recognize that you need God's power, that you want to be prayed for, for healing. Healing takes many different forms. Sometimes we know that we need God's physical healing. There's something that's perhaps more obvious in our bodies that we want to be healed from. But God is also in the business of emotional healing. Maybe there's things that we are carrying this morning, anxieties or sadness that we want God to come and bring inner healing for. It might be spiritual healing and a sense of healing our relationship with God where it's been broken. 
And so in just a moment, I'm going to ask if you would like to respond to that and you know that you want to receive some of God's healing, um, just to pop your hand up. I'm not going to get you to the front. I'm not going to get you to share what it is. So I'm not going to put you on the spot. Don't worry. It's just so that when we pray, we can see who those people are that we're praying for. So if you're here this morning and you would like to receive healing from God in any way, physical, spiritual, or emotional, um, just raise a hand. 